0: Everyone in the Northeast took a week off uh, last Tuesday. Just before we got online or ready to get online, there was a huge internet outage, and we'll talk about that. But welcome, everybody, to a Tech Chat Tuesday. I'm here again, Ken Rimple uh, with Sujan Kapadia. Hey, people. Hey. So, all right. So, yeah, so that was a huge outage. But uh, before we talk about that, let's just kind of get everyone oriented. So if you found this through YouTube or whatever, if you want to subscribe, go to chariotsolutions.com slash podcasts. Uh, and you can click the RSS or iTunes link or in iTunes or Google Play Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Podcasts, at least we're there. So if you search up Chariot TechCast, you'll find this. And the Tech Chat Tuesdays are part of the podcast stream. Uh, also, you can always check out our blog, chariotsolutions.com slash blog. We've got some really good stuff in here. Uh, just this uh, last time I'd mentioned this, but it bears repeating. There was um, a really good article by Keith Gregory who's been on the show numerous times uh, on getting started with Lambda container images. Uh, That's a really interesting one. Uh, And a bunch of other things. We go all over the map from, you know, digital transformation to dealing with Android or Flutter, Kubernetes, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff, Um, UX design, and it just goes on and on. So our blog is a really good resource for developers. And it gives you an idea of the kinds of things we work on and we're interested in. Um, another thing to note is check out our YouTube channel, chariotsolutions.com on YouTube. If you do youtube.com slash chariotsolutions, you'll end up there and check out the playlists. Uh, we just put together a thanks to our producer, Becca, uh, a Philly ETE super playlist, which is all the videos that we have for all ETEs going back from now to probably 2012. Um, and there, there are older ones in that, but I know at least we have those in there. Uh, and then we have a bunch of other shows that we've done. Philly ETE 2020 would give you an idea of the things that we most recently did. So check that out if you get a chance, but the real thing we want to tee up and, uh, Sujan will will back me up on this one is Philly ETE 2021. So coming up May 4th to 6th, 2021, it's cheap right now, uh, for the next week or two. Uh, it's still early birds. So this is the time to grab the the tickets at 70 bucks. Uh, and it's going to be over three days. It's not going to be three full days. We're going to kind of give you some breaks during those days. I think it's six or five hours a day, so it's not going to give you Zoom fatigue as much. Uh, And we've got some amazing speakers. Uh, The first one, Alan Kay. Uh, He is a pioneer computing scientist. So he helped invent personal computing along with other people, but he was the one, one of the people at Xerox PARC. He worked on the graphical user interface, uh, the earliest object-oriented programming Uh, and uh, he's really, really interesting. So you can read more about him, check him out. He's going to be our featured keynote speaker, and we're working right now to figure out what uh, we're going to have him talk about. And he's very collaborative, so we're really excited about that. Uh, Let's see here. And then we have Kent Beck. Sujan, do you know what you think of us getting Kent Beck?
1: Love the fact that we're getting Kent Beck, you know, other than as being this major, major proponent of a philosophy I love, um, more than a methodology of philosophy, extreme programming. It's how I got into agile programming. And years ago, you know, they had a bunch of stuff on the web at the time when the World Wide Web wasn't as popular and, and crazy as it is now. But a lot yeah. of software developers kind of got onto this uh, extreme programming chain, which is around test-driven development, pair programming, you know, code over documentation, people over processes, things like that. But they really hit the core of what Agile, in my opinion, is without the ceremony, without a lot of the process, but with all the value and output. So he's one of the fathers of extreme programming uh, and to have him um, at ET is just amazing. The fact that it's still relevant, people are still interested in it. It's still something after like over a decade now, people don't know about they haven't tried out when it i've been on projects where we've done it by the way so i'm not just like blowing smoke up here um yeah know, me too it, it's it's actually a really effective methodology so i'm stoked to hear him talk about it and and kind of hear his perspective now after it's been around for many years
0: absolutely so um we also have uh jessica kerr who is actually uh, on our board now she's she's uh um has been a keynoter multiple times for us and just a great speaker, great technologist. Uh, her 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 term is somathesis. There was a really good talk last year about uh was it two years ago about sehay, which is kind of like a synergy of scientists and mathematics and and art. Uh, so really cool. um she's really been helping us a lot and and being part of that. Uh, Core group of people helping to plan ETE, along with our consultants and friends. Uh, we have Brian Getz coming back again for uh, another talk. We just scored a talk from the committer uh, on the Java world of um, oh man, now I'm forget the name of it. Um, what's that f- the, the 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 Java uh, API that's coming out to kind of fold in functional programming. Uh, into the regular language. I can't not remember. Talking about,
1: not Loom, right?
0: Yes, Project Loom. So we have the committer for Project Loom. He was able to help us uh, score that speaker. So we're going to have him come on. Um, and that'll be up there on the site soon. David Nolan from Closure Script world. Um, Nithya uh, Ruff, who is right now the head of the uh, Linux Foundation, I believe, as one of her gigs. Um, just a lot of really good people. So not to spend too much time on it, but hey, we we like to talk up great conferences and we love doing this conference every year. So uh, it'll still be virtual one more year um, due to COVID, but uh, it will be useful. And last year, we really took advantage of things like Slack to keep the conversation going. And I really thought we had really good engagement last year. All right. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about things? So first of all, we would we would have had a show last Tuesday, were it not, for the Northeast being hit by a very big outage, um, literally like 20, 30 minutes before the show
1: started. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? Uh, yeah, it was uh, literally like stop dead in your tracks outage um, that you wouldn't think would affect so many services and downstream systems under the website downdetector.com that kind of how, um, has all yeah. the popular major services and, and the number of incidents they've had within a certain time period. And they all spiked up and it was like scary, like, wow.
0: It was, um, everything you could think of went down, you know, like like you've got your, your email services, your chat services, your other systems, um, you know, like just anything that needed communication between the Northeast and anywhere else was just offline for a good couple of hours. And what, you know, this is what's interesting, right? So not to to bash a company, I'm not going to do that. But in terms of like postmortems, some things you get postmortems for, for example, if EC2 goes down, you're going to get a whole paper on, here's what we found, here's what went wrong, here's how we're going to address it in the future, here's what happened. I have yet to really find anything about this particular outage, except to note that there have been reports about a fiber being cut in in Brooklyn. Uh, And so it'd be interesting to see if there was something beyond that. Uh, but it wasn't just Fios. Now, I'm on Fios, so I would have been directly affected Same by it. Um, but there were other people that were on other networks, I guess, because the things they were getting to were probably on Fios or at least walked through the backbone that included that fiber. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll track that and see if anything comes up from this in the future. Uh, but uh, you know, we, we, you know, Down Detector went crazy with that, I know, and it was back online in a couple of hours, but it was a couple of hours, so it's yeah. pretty significant. Yeah. A lot of people in online schools couldn't get to their uh, you know, classes, for example. So that made the, you know, the government stand up and take notice to try to research what was going on too. So be interesting. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk with the first tech news. So, um, you have this one here, uh, more EV news, but Shell's buying UK's biggest electric vehicle charging network, Ubitricity. And this is from UK tech news.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is not, so I don't honestly like follow What's going on in all parts of the EV world, especially with the charging networks and stuff in Europe? But I, yeah. it just stuck out to me like, oh, Shell, you know, oil, gas is buying an EV charging network. So to see that they're getting into that space and they're buying like a hundred percent acquisition of a company called Ubitricity in the UK—it's our largest charging network company. Um, I think it just shows that there's a lot of companies realizing that hey, this thing is not going away. Yeah. Um, it's getting bigger and bigger and with tesla and and, you know there's BMW has it you know volkswagen has it uh mercedes has it they're not some of them are not trying to aggressively pursue it as tesla is anymore but most of the manufacturers are coming out with um, more hybrids and ev cars so um the fact that this is happening is really good um I hope it's something that is done in a way that helps people and, and helps the carbon footprint, not just a way for a company to offset its carbon footprint and, right. and actually ra- raise prices. So so oil looks cheaper than, than electricity. <laughs> you
0: know, I wonder because it's Royal Dutch Shell buying them and they're the energy company, they're, you know, oil company. So you do wonder whether that's just, this is the pivot they have to make in order to stay financially relevant. The GM, right. for example, just announced, I think it was 2035 that they're going to cease oil-based car production. It's all going to be electric, yeah. which is a giant shift. So, yeah, a lot of it stuff is, is yeah. moving right now, you know? Definitely. All right. I threw this one in here. Uh, ECMAScript keeps on marching. So every year they have little tiny uh, feature updates to ECMAScript. There was the big bang in ECMAScript 2025. Uh, We're 2025, in the future in 2015. And then 2016 had some, 2017 less, and so on. But, you know, the 2021 spec is out. Uh, and there are only a couple of features, there's five of them. Uh, so we can get a hold of some of these. So some of these are, now there's gonna be a replace all in string uh, with uh, all occurrences of the search string being replaced with the second one. So that's like one that's been, I'm surprised it's not there actually, but uh, yeah, it doesn't exist. So if you wanna replace everything in a string of a particular pattern, now that'll be in replace all as of Microsoft 2021. Uh, promise.any, so if any of the promises resolves, um, it, it will resolve, so instead of .all, which is like all of them have to finish, this is like if any of these things are racing to get an answer, if one of them does, we get the answer, um, and it'll reject when only when all of the promises reject, so if it'll sit there and wait for any one of them to pass, if none of them pass, it rejects, which is kind of a nice little feature, it's like the inverse of promise.all, almost the inverse of promise.all. There's a weak ref. Um, So new class are creating weak references to objects uh, that won't stop the reference objects uh, from being garbage collected. So that's for if you're like trying to keep your memory usage down and you have some things you want to establish, but then maybe reestablish if they go away, Uh, but whatever. I don't think I'd ever use this, but what have you. Um, Logic assignment operators. Now you've got like, and equals or equals not equals with, with the, with this kind of thing here, combining logical operators with assignment to kind of shorten them. Right. So if either of those are set, so you don't have to do like the full predicate of both uh, equals or equals. So the either or exclusive, that kind of thing. So you got your, your nice little operators there. Cute. Uh, Numeric separators. So this just makes it a little more readable, right? So I know how many times have you like counted the zeros and went, no, I can't can't see where things are. So just to make it a little more readable, they have this ability to kind of put separators in when you're writing a constant, which is cute.
1: It's amazing seeing just how often and how much ECMAScript keeps evolving. And it just shows how large of a developer base there is because otherwise there wouldn't be a demand for these features. It's just so many people are programming in JavaScript now. Yep.
0: Yep. And TypeScript, for example. So and TypeScript, that's I'm that's sure, sure. will update and support ECMAScript 2021 if it hasn't already in in a soon release. All right. Uh, Oh, and apparently (laughs) I like this. If you just don't use weak ref or any of the logical assignment offers, you have to rely on Babel to target IE (laughs) 11. That's probably a good idea. (laughs) All right. Fedora, this is interesting. So I have not been tracking much with what Chrome has been doing, except for the fact that I'm noticing there's a lot of releases, right? So you get a lot of updates recently. Last year I've gotten three or four uh, Chrome release updates, but it's all based on the Chromium browser plus the features they they put out in the actual Chrome product. So all the Chrome browsers are based on Chromium and uh, Fedora uh, is maintaining the open source Chrome browser package. So they, they have, they're part of the maintenance process um, and what they're noticing is that they're starting to pull features out of Chromium only to place them in Chrome. And I guess this is for competitive advantage. What else would it be for? Um, Does
1: Steve Ballmer work at Google
0: now? <laughs> it might be. Uh, so it says, uh, basically this guy says, um, um, or this person, I should say, I don't know, uh, says, uh, recommend switch to Firefox, following your decision to functionality, make it exclusive to Chrome. Um, and so Chrome 88, during an audit, they discovered some third-party Chromium-based browsers were able to integrate Google features such as Chrome Sync and Click to Call that are only intended for Google's use. So we are now limiting access to our private Chrome API starting on March 15th, 2021. So that kind of stinks. You know, hmm. I guess they didn't realize they put that in Chromium. And they're like, oh, we ought to put that only in Chrome. That's <laughs> not great.
1: So I mean, the, thinking- the, the Chrome Sync, I mean, that, one, I guess, makes sense just because it, it does a number of things that are based on Google services as well. So I could see that one kind of just being Chrome only. Um. Yeah, but you know,
0: it's funny. Like, I, I know it's not that hard to add the Chrome, you know, uh, APK, you know, and, and set it up for Linux. For example, if you're on Linux and you want to go ahead and add actual regular Chrome, you can mm-hmm. go ahead and add the, the Debian repository or what have you to Ubuntu, and install the native Chrome. So I'm... Um, In terms of like Chrome itself, it's no big deal to add it. But if you were Firefox and you've decided to use Chromium APIs, and then all of a sudden they realize they shouldn't be in Chromium, that's what they're talking about here. Yeah,
1: And it's interesting, right? It just goes to show that, I mean, pretty much all the browsers support all the modern features. So like, so overall your experience should be rather similar between browsers. Some are better performing than others, but it really comes down to these tweaks and changes are around data collection and displaying ads. So that's what browsers have become. Let's face it, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: They said the reasoning was Google does not want users. This is quote the, the register article here to give credit. Google does not want users to be able to access their personal Chrome sync data, such as bookmarks, with a non-Google Chromium-based browser. They're not closing the security hall. They're just requiring that everyone use Chrome. Okay. <laughs> That's Microsoft. true, I guess. Microsoft. I know. Steve Ballmer, what are you doing? All right. Uh, okay. Next. Machine learning number recognition. From so the re-
1: the reason I found this article interesting so it well first of all for those that are just getting into machine learning you probably know that like digit recognition handwriting digit is like the hello world app for machine learning every machine learning one course starts with the mnist um no handwritten digits as a training set to uh-huh. to go through but most of them use neural networks to do it and they're more complex more complicated and longer to train this article takes an interesting approach using an algorithm called k means Um, nearest neighbor, which is basically um, a fancy way of saying you have a bunch of data and you're trying to find this all pre-labeled data, um, Mm -hmm. in this case digits, and based off your data, you're looking at, for each data point, how close is it to other data points of similarity, and it uses that to do classification, so it tries to find clusters, basically. Once it's identified those clusters, it'll say, okay, everything within that cluster is this. Everything within this cluster is that, and it trains that to figure out what each digit is, and then you can run against that. So anyway, this article goes through using scikit-learn in Python, which is a great um, library for doing uh, data crunching, data science-type stuff, and things like k-means and other algorithms. Um, and then they once they do that and explain it um, and train it, they build a Flask React app to draw the digits and then run it through the, inf- the K means inference to tell you what the digit is. So it's a nice, like one blog post that goes end to end machine oh. learning, simple app. Um, so if you're just getting into it and you haven't got to the neural network stuff yet and you want to start with something simpler and not as complicated, this is a good place to start.
0: Right. There's the drawing app piece. That is really cool. Yeah. All right. Nice, nice, nice uh, tutorial there. So that's on top.com. Uh, and uh, the article is called uh, "Machine Learning Number Recognition from Zero to Application," and it's by Tamir Gazanov. Okay. Okay, you have another one that that floored me when I saw it. Lambdas in Excel.
1: Yeah, Let's talk. I. Oh, this is cool. I thought this was like fake news or The Onion something. I'm like, wait, <laughs> func- higher order functional programming. So higher order functional programming. Functional programming is basically the unit of composition of development is functions the abstraction so um everything is essentially a function and then there's data coming in and out uh higher order functions are functions that take functions and can return functions so you can do some pretty powerful programming with functions being able to take in logic and execute it or produce new logic um, and it's, it can simplify development or or make it more concise you know, um, like mapping
0: reducing filtering that kind of thing exactly
1: yeah um, so now, this has to come to Excel, right? Because Excel's still alive and kicking and very powerful. Um, so You can create formulas in Excel. You can do things like VB, Visual Basic, etc., and create ex- scripts and stuff. This is trying to simplify things in the sense that it's giving you the power of being able to create your own functions, um, being able to assign your own variables and with scope using things like let statements, and then assigning those to formulas um, and then just using them in Excel. So you can do, things like complex functions, you can do things like array processing or, you know, simple MapReduce filter sites like you were mentioning. So um, this is a Microsoft research paper and article on the ability to do that within Excel, um, which lately for outside of work, uh, just personal finance stuff, I've been using Google Sheets a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I got tired of some of the limitations of coding in there. So I actually moved to using Lab Python notebooks um, and processing the data that way right? and then putting stuff back into Google Sheets. But it's pretty cool that Excel is trying to keep on par in certain situations uh, with that. And, it, you know, it, it's still heavily used out there. So anyway, if you're interested in functional programming, um, interested and you're a heavy Excel user or, or value Excel, it's it's some pretty cool stuff.
0: That's really cool. You know, it's funny. I, I, keep, I keep thinking about, like, every... <laughs> At least every couple of years, I run into a client and the client uh, says, we need you to write a new version of our app. And our app is really written in Excel, <laughs> you know, and you look yeah. at the code, you're like, wow, you did a lot with Excel because you could do a lot with Excel. Yeah. If you so, if you live in it. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a client I worked for once with the entire floor of financial people. They did nothing but Excel and then they had to try to put things together for other people to use. And they couldn't because obviously people would copy the Excel spreadsheet around and then they would change it. And then one person had the change and they were rewriting things as, you know, basically Java applications, for example, on the server. And yeah. uh, it's just interesting. You still run into people that are heavily that and a- access, right? You'll run into people that are like my apps in Microsoft access. And I shared the access file and it's corrupted. I'm like, right.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. no, I <laughs> mean, you know, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it
0: doesn't change. You know, it's just, yeah. but it's cool that they're getting this sophisticated. Yeah, it's really interesting. All right, cool. So that was in Microsoft's research uh, blog, and we'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. I got a toy, so I went to Micro Center, and I I, I get to claim firsties on this because Don Coleman found out for me that this thing exists. So um, I was cruising around getting articles for last week's uh, before it stopped uh, was it last week? Might've been a week before for the week before is, uh, dev news. And I found the Raspberry Pi Pico. All right. So the Pico is a Raspberry Pi microcontroller instead. And it's the freaking thing is four bucks. Okay. So here's what you can do with this thing. Um, you can, uh, hook it up directly. It, it ends up as a file system on your computer. So you don't have to do a programmer to set it up. You can load, uh, I think it's called MicroPy, is that right? I'm gonna get it wrong. But but you basically can drop a piece of programming code on there and it turns it into a Python REPL through the serial port. So you can go in and you can just, through Python, you can get a hold of the, the LEDs, start flashing them, turn on and off pins, do what you need to do. Um, and the specs for this thing are pretty good. So let's see, it comes with two megs of QSPI flash. You can fit up to another 16 megs, and I don't believe this, if you're handy with a soldering iron. I would never be handy enough with a soldering iron to deal with this, but, you know, that's because I stink at it. Um, and then uh, 264K of SRAM, which is decent. Uh, and then they break up the memory into 64K banks. Uh, what else? It's got – oh, there's a little boot select switch, so when you turn it on, if you hold that down, that's when it becomes a flash drive. So when you hold that down on boot, it's a flash drive. Drop your program in it and go. So you can program it in C++. You can program it in Python. And it's 4 bucks. In fact, at Micro Center, where I am uh, in Philadelphia, the Micro Centers were sell- selling these for $2. So if you're interested in IoT wow. boards and you want to play with this thing, it, you don't really need a whole lot of special stuff. And I was, I was thrilled. I like, just turned on a com port, you know, terminal. And I was able to immediately get in there and have a REPL in Python. It had upline command history and everything. So that's kind of fun. So anyway, there's a really good uh Hackaday article announcing it and then I found an Adafruit tutorial. What makes me laugh harder than anything is the book is more expensive than the board. <laughs> $14 book for a $2 to $4 board. It's not out yet, but they should um, just
1: include they should just include the thing in the book.
0: You'd think, right? Yeah, like the book would have it like taped on or something like yeah,
1: that. <laughs> like CDs back in the day.
0: I wonder if it does actually. No, it's a shame. A Pico is not included. So don't forget to pick one up. They would be smart <laughs> to do that. i love eating a fruit for that kind of stuff. Okay, I know I'm going to get this conversation wrong, so be prepared for stupidity, but uh, there's a nice little article on Node.js race conditions. Um, and, you know, so everyone thinks, uh, you know, and you would assume that Node is single-threaded because that's what you hear. Node is single-threaded. What is single-threaded about Node is the event loop, right? So there might be things that run asynchronously, like a network call. Uh, or something asynchronous uh, that you're able to kick off that's written in C++ or something like that. Um, But the thing is, because of that, you might be waiting on multiple promises. Guess what? You could have a race condition. So don't assume that because it's quote-unquote single-threaded that it's truly single-threaded. The things that you are running in the event loop are single-threaded. But everything you fork off and do in the background is running in its own thread, potentially, So you can have race conditions. And so this article, I'm not going to go through everything in the articles that frequently screw that up. Um, But in this article, they kind of talk through like a, you know, race condition where you're like, you know, working with two components that are reading and writing balances and how you would try to fix that by maybe making transactions. Then you might kick them off in a promise. And so that's where things start to fall apart if they they run in different promises. So it's a, a nice little tutorial on that. So something you want to read up on and you could do things like mutexes, or, you know, there's like a library async mutex that will, will let you kind of have mutually exclusive block that you can run into and kind of acquire it, do things in it, let it go. Um, And that's great if there's one node server, but if you have two node servers running, then you don't have a shared thing to lock on. So, you know, there's, there's it's a good like discussion about these different issues. So just keep in mind, you can still have race conditions and problems even in Node.js. So I'm not sure if you have anything to add to that there, but uh,
1: I haven't done anything uh, higher performance or yeah. uh, parallel processing other than shunting things off to other processes. So yeah, I'll have to read this. It's interesting. Yeah,
0: me too. I mean, I, I, I know a little of it, but I want to kind of go through it step by step. So that's a Node.jsdesignpatterns.com, which tells me that I should probably look at the whole site I um, wonder if it's for a book. I'll bet it's for a book. It's for a book. Look at that. Node.js design patterns. I'll have to take a look at that book now.
1: I wonder if there's like a disclaimer at the top of the articles. If you're reading this article, there may be a better way to architect your solution before you have to like use these <laughs> things. <laughs> it's like, think about how you want to do it.
0: Right. Or 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 like the guy who created Deno. the guy, Ryan Block might say, uh, is it Ryan Block? I think it's his name. Ryan Dahl. Ryan Dahl was the guy that created Node. He is now uh, working on uh, Deno, which is Node spelled backwards or, or an anagram of Node, I should say. And Deno is kind of like a his next generation take on what Node.js is. So
1: okay.
0: interesting what he would say about this. Um, okay, last thing I think is kind of fun, a little short one today is paper craft models. This cracked me up. So Rocky Bergen uh, is an artist and designer and he spent some time, <laughs> I love this. He spent some time putting together some printout, fold yourself and glue models of old computers, and I just think these are Why? awesome. Because like, it's because it's there. So you because it's there. Can make, like, like Christmas ornaments, right? Yeah. So an Amiga five hundred, you print that an Get the mouse. I and know the mouse it's great. A Box of the little mouse. Um, you've got an um, oh, uh, uh, Apple II, a Lisa. I don't know if I mentioned this in the podcast before, but I actually ran into a Lisa in the wild when I was a kid. I think it's scary this, looking. It is scary looking. My friend, my father's friend, who was a radio person, I like my father, uh, he had a studio and he was a gadget guy like unfortunately I am. And he had one of the first leases. He purchased this thing for like, I don't know, 15 grand. And we're like, what do you do with it? And he's like, I don't know yet, but it's really cool.
1: <laughs> the other one, is that Oregon Trail running on there?
0: <laughs> it, <laughs> it is. It's Oregon Trail. That's <laughs> really good call. That's exactly what that is. Uh, uh, you want a Mac 128 K go crazy. Look at this to get all the cartridges oh. and cassettes. The one that cracks me up in here, there's a Commodore 64. The Vic 20 is hilarious. Uh, cassette tapes and a 1541 drive just to make sure you're really. Right, wow. But I if see. you click on any of these, right? So you click on this one. All you right, can this download. Guy be,
1: this guy must be OCD. These things are amazing.
0: I think. Yeah. But, uh, he's my hero. And here's the papercraft model. So you just download it, give it to your kid, and say, here,
1: kid, have a computer. That is awesome.
0: That's <laughs> so great.
1: He's my official hero. I love it. Because you could like you could make a larger version of that, put a uh put put the Raspberry Pico inside it. And then
0: <laughs> <laughs> boy, this scares me. This popped up. Update browser applications. That's not scary. Maybe you shouldn't go to this website anyway. Yeah, we're not going to go to this website. Hey, guess what? Let's not go to that website. Funny stuff. I guess we can't use it now. Oh, well, they took all the fun away. Well, anyway, that is, uh, <laughs> that is the, the dev news, the Philly Tech Chat Tuesday for this week for February 2nd. I don't think I'm going to include the note for that because it looks like it's got clickbait in it. So we'll just skip that and just say that was kind of fun to look at. But I'm glad everyone showed up for this week because we actually have internet. We will be back next week with more developer news and other things, maybe an interview or two if I can score them. Uh, Other than that, uh, that's it. So see you in a week. See you guys. Hope for no more outages. Yeah, seriously. Take care. Take care.